Well, hi there. Hey, how you doing? My name's Collier. I'm Lige. Welcome to the Hopefully Wandering Podcast. How you doing, buddy? Darn too well. <laughs> Where the oh, fuck no. did that come from? <laughs> We're not going to keep this up the whole time, are we? <laughs> no, no, I'm done. We have to, we have to practice our voice acting for our virtual D and D games. Yes. <laughs> Collier has adopted a French accent for his uh, dark elf, his yeah. Jedi Kai. I am, I am. Uh, Thomas said that I am a basically just a European exchange student on the adventure with them, which I am totally down with that role. <laughs> it's been an interesting experience. <laughs> Anyways, Collier, you've got some big life stuff coming up, which is going to lead to some announcements for the podcast. Yeah. Do you want to talk yeah. about that? I should have some big life stuff coming up very soon. Uh, Michaela and I are moving to New York City. What? And we are going to be little people in the Big Apple, and uh, we're so excited about that. I'll so, pray um, for you. <laughs> that the Lord would is, convict you for driving yes, and going to the sinful city. It's a godless place. It is the secular world that we're getting into. We're going to be, we are going to be of the world. We, we, we are going to be in the world, and we are going to be of it. Um, and I'm excited to do that. So, yeah, that will lead to um, some podcast announcements. Yeah. Um, so the first announcement and really the only announcement is that this is going to be the final episode for season one of the Hopefully Wandering podcast. Oh, this is going to be a big season finale with awesome guests and Huge. crazy first video episode that we have. <laughs> Or mostly video. We mm -hmm. didn't record the video for this intro, but whatever. <laughs> yes, so check this out on YouTube because it will be yeah. on there. I must apologize. I was on like three hours of sleep. So like at the, like the last third of the podcast, I'm like nodding off. And I, it's not because our guest was boring. Derek, I'm so sorry. I was just so tired. <laughs> it was. <laughs> I felt so bad. I, yeah. You just forgot there was a camera there. Yeah. I know, I did. I totally like zoned out. I'm embarrassed, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, so we're going to take a little break because Elijah, Elijah has also started a master's school, which I, I'm yes. pretty sure he said on here before. Yeah, absolutely. Hard, hard in the paint with them uh, therapy courses. Mm -hmm. So all that to say, we're going to be taking a brief break, maybe a couple of months, um, and getting all that situated. We're going to start doing, uh, right now Elijah and I are in person in his in his townhouse that he has. Yep. Um, but moving forward, we will be in separate places, recording over video and doing our own audios together. So we're going to get all that worked out and then come back bigger and badder and better and benevolent or <laughs> it'll be fun yeah we're gonna do it uh it'll be fun it'll be an exciting change so in the meantime we'll probably be doing some social media polls some listener audience participation so if you don't already follow us please go follow us on instagram at hopefully wondering podcast uh because we will have a lot of fun listener engagement um polls and stories really to do um, so also we would just ask if you could like share us, uh, uh, with your friends and with people that you think might benefit from this, that would be great. We would love to, uh, have some more people listen to us and through that, have more conversations, have more guests and all that great stuff. So another thing is that 
This does not mean that we're going to stop recording episodes. Maybe we'll do it a little more sparingly, but um, we have a few uh, other guest interviews coming up that we're going to record during our break, and they're, they're just going to have to wait some time before they actually air. Um, but it'll also give us some time to maybe not inherently rethink things, but you know, come up with a plan moving forward. I know that Collier and I have talked about uh, redoing our quote-unquote deconstruction, deconversion stories, and so... That'll be a big thing that we uh, start back when we come back for season two, just to kind of do a, a year follow-up, because that's kind of about how long it's been since yeah. we've started recording when we come back, um, almost a year. And it's crazy because a lot changes mentally and spiritually and emotionally in one year. I mean, I'm sure you can attest to that. Definitely. Very fast. Yeah. So please, yeah, uh, engage with us. Give us some feedback and responses. Uh, we love hearing from you all the time, no matter what it is. Um, and enough about us. So today, I'm sure that you've clicked on this episode because, uh, in the title you saw, there is a very special guest. Um, we have a big name. Who's that <laughs> Pokemon? It is Derek Myers. Yo. Yeah. So Derek, um, if you have not heard of him is, um, he runs uh, Your Favorite Heretics with his uh, his wife, Rachel, on Instagram. They have a Facebook group, uh, a really great resource. So just going ahead and shouting out that. Um, the Facebook group is called Your Favorite Heretics Community Discussion. Uh, please go join that. It is an awesome group that you can talk about anything related to deconstructing your faith, um, memes, uh, advice about how to deal with family or how to deal with those infamous uh, coffee chat requests. Um, so it's a really good time. And Derek is just an incredible human being. Uh, I feel like we became friends so quickly through this episode and I'm excited for you to listen to him. Take it away. Hello. Hi. Welcome to the podcast, Derek. What's up? What's up? All right. So Derek, who are you? I'm still figuring that out. (laughs) <laughs> Aren't we all, buddy? Aren't we all? <laughs> um, wow, let's get deep real quick. Now, uh, who am I? Um, so I guess I'll go with the public sort of who am I. Yeah, um, if you were in like a 30-second like speed dating thing, you know, oh, shoot. what would you say? <laughs> I'm an Enneagram 2, so those of you who... Uh, worship our Lord and Savior Enneagram, mm-hmm. um, well, no. Um, <laughs> but no, I, Enneagram 2, I guess, is a, a good way to get a feel of who I am. Uh, I'm a Gemini. May 31st is my birthday, so you all can send me birthday gifts. Um, uh, let's see. Speaking of birthdays, I, I had my dirty 30 this year, so I'm, an, I'm officially an old man. Oh, my God. Um, wow, old man. Yes, yes. Are you planning your funeral already? I am. It, it's going to be very depressing. So everybody has to cry. And if they don't, I will rise from the dead and make them cry. So oh, you sing. Um, about it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, a little bit more about me, I guess, on a more serious note, if you want to say that my wife, Rachel, and I started a, a page called Your Favorite Heretics back in July of 2020 when the world had ended. Um, and 
initially uh, we had been kind of on our own separate deconstruction processes and found ourselves at this convergence. And Rachel had the idea of starting a page uh, so that we didn't have to answer every DM from past church friends or family members or whoever was trying to get an idea of what this crazy thing is called deconstruction that's causing us to have wild ideas about their pet beliefs around evangelical Christianity. Um, and so, yeah, she wanted to call it your favorite heretic, but she's like, you know what? I, I want to do it with you. Why don't we do it together? I was like, all right, sign me up. Let's do this thing. We just wanted to be basically kind of have a place to point people so that we didn't have to explain ourselves and say the same things over and over. Um, and, uh, ended up talking about church trauma, um, on a post, a few posts into our whole process of starting a page and it kind of took off unexpectedly. So, yeah, I think that's kind of what led us for the most part, uh, to where we are today. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a little bit about my background. I grew up super evangelical, um, non-denominational, which in and of itself is a denomination. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely. I've seen a lot of different corners of the church, uh, just, I guess, different flavors and expressions within evangelicalism. Um, I had my reformed Calvinist phase. In fact, that was kind of the Bible college Rachel and I met at, which uh, we're supposed to love all of the parts of ourselves, but that part's a little bit harder to love. <laughs> um, Everyone's got to go through it. It's okay. Yeah. Then I had uh, a, a more charismatic sort of time of my process in, in evangelicalism um, and a little bit of a combination of all sorts of things. So anyway, uh, yeah, I, I would say over the last uh, handful of years of deconstructing and I, I've kind of gotten to this point of being less concerned with labels and more of just wanting to be open to uh, new ideas and things that end up benefiting me and, and, and being enriching to my spiritual experience. Um, So that's a little bit of where I am. So I guess that went on a tangent, but this is who I am. (laughs) No, that was perfect. I mean, that was much more concise than a lot of the, uh, a lot of the intros that we've had. So that was very good. Yeah. You hit the yin and the yang. You hit the Calvinist and the charismatic. Wow, yeah. I know, I mean, that's impressive. I, you know, I, I aim to please. I guess that's the Enneagram 2 of me. That is the Enneagram 2 of me. <laughs> Are you a 2? I'm not, but I, I think that every church person is like a, a, a hyper people pleaser. Like, it's just yeah, in the DNA. Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. Something we're recovering. Yeah, I think we all are. Thank God for therapy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Seriously. Awesome. Well, Derek, before we get more into your story, um, we're going to do a, a youth group classic. Have you ever played the hot seat? Mm, probably. Okay. Yeah. Like, so, you know, you, you bring the guest youth worst, youth pastor in who's going to give the sermon for the day. You put him down in a seat and you bombard him with all kinds of ridiculous questions. So are you ready, Derek? I'm, I'm, I think I'm as ready as I'll ever be. As long as I don't have to eat baby food or something weird. Like, you know, we need to incorporate oh like different youth pastor games. Oh, we should. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm not. Do, do, do you remember that one where they would like, they would like brush their teeth into one cup and then somebody would drink it. Oh God. Oh, Ooh. that was that. I mean, makes me gag 
Right. I probably shouldn't have said that because like now like all of our listeners <laughs> have turned off. There's a trigger warning <laughs> Sorry. now. Trigger warning, yeah. That was so bad. We would do the most like, ridiculous fucked up stuff at youth camp. I don't know why. Honestly. I don't want to talk about the Bible and Beach <laughs> summer camp talent show with oh, the no. mouthwash. Anyways, let's keep going. Okay. So, <laughs> so switching course. Yeah, hot, hot seat. So first one, it's a doozy. Uh, donuts or muffins? Donuts. Mm. Okay. Okay. All right. Are you more? Uh, okay. Okay. Let me let me phrase this correctly. Um, large hat female worship leader, or Instagram story study Bible worship or uh, girl. So, what what is the answer? Is it like my like the villain in my eyes or like, <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, which, is, which is your favorite or least? I don't know. <laughs> I don't do know. You want, do you want the one in the large hat who's uh, singing uh, raise a hallelujah? Or do you want the one who posts every morning the Bible verse she highlighted mm. on Instagram? Let, let's go. Who do you prefer? Yeah. yeah who do you prefer? <laughs> I guess the like large hat, raise a hallelujah worship leader. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, you are in Tennessee, right? It's like Tennessee style, you know. The, Georgia, the close enough. You oh, know, you're in Georgia. Okay, my bad. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, let's see. If you could be any animal, what would you be? A cheetah. Mm, I like that. Absolutely, that's my favorite animal. I love it. Always I, has been. I I really want to adopt like a big cat as a pet, and I know I can't, but I want to so badly. <laughs> It's like leopard, cheetah, jaguar, just one of those, something. I feel like I just would want to take a nap with a cheetah, but I don't know if that would lead to my death or perhaps like a fulfillment of a fantasy. I mean, who knows? Maybe I need to find out. Maybe that, you know what, what better way to go out? You know, I yeah. I was taking a nap with a cheetah, put that on my tombstone. I'd be satisfied to, to die that way. Yeah, I, I would be too. I think that that would be a good way to go out. So I watched a nature document. I'm going on a tangent. I watched a nature nature documentary one time with a guy who spent the night with cheetahs. And the cheetahs aren't aggressive to people. They actually like to play with them. But they get so caught up in the play, they often kill them because they don't know their own strength. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, like, I, I'm kind of mildly interested in this, this documentary now. But yeah, also... So I'll send you the YouTube video. <laughs> okay, please do. I may end up weeping afterwards and like messaging you. Like, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, what's your favorite color? Ooh, this is a great question too. So I, it's like a toss up between, well, like my whole life it was blue. And then like, I'd say over the last 10 years, it's kind of leaned more toward green, like a forest green. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like green looks the best on me because I have hazel eyes with some green in it and it kind of makes it pop. So I have a little yeah. bit of a, you know, a little bit of a selfish, is that selfish? I don't know. Like it, it's, it makes me feel confident wearing green. Yeah. 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 So I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. That was a long winded answer talking about my favorite color. There you go. There you have it. Now you got reasons. That's good. Um, uh, what is your, what, what would be your number one, uh, vacation destination? Hmm. That I've been to. Uh, that you've been to or that you want to go like, like, like a bucket list one. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to answer both. Okay. So my, my favorite vacation spot that I've been to is Hawaii. It's just heaven on earth. Um, 
ultimate paradise in my book. Now, um, I would love to, I'd love to see a lot of Europe. So it's kind of hard to, to choose like one particular area. And you know what? I'm going to go with a, a curveball here. I'm going to go with Iceland. And I guess that is part Ooh. of Europe too. But Iceland, yeah. like I, I remember following an Instagram page like years back and just seeing all these beautiful like photos and video. And I was like mesmerized by Iceland. So anyway, just a little bit of a curveball there with Iceland. Yeah. No, you should do it. You should go. Right now, let's let's right uh, now. let's pick up this podcast, and we'll be right back from Iceland. Record in Iceland. Let's I'm do down. it. Let's do a little bit of role play for a second, Derek. Let's oh, say, no. whoa, it's a this just Sunday got into Sunday morning, and you and Rachel get up, you stretch, you have your quiet time with God, and instead of going <clears> to church, you're like, yes, God. Let's go to a coffee shop. You go to your favorite coffee shop, your favorite local place, not Starbucks. What do you mm. order? Where, what do I order? Yeah, what do you order? Like, what's your go-to? Ooh. So, if I'm not going to, like, a good coffee shop, and I know this, like, totally goes against your question. So, like, I'm a big Dunkin' fan. <laughs> it's better than Starbucks. It is. It is. It, so, I love Dunkin' Cold Brew. I'm kind of obsessed. It's good. Um. So that would be like my quick, like coffee spot. Um, We're talking however, about a place where, like, you go in, you order a cappuccino, oh yeah. and like, they don't ask you what size, right? Right. They right. know the ounces for sure. I just had to throw out my Dunkin' shout out because I would love to be sponsored by Dunkin' in some capacity. I don't think they would ever yeah. give a shit about sponsoring me, but I would love that. I think <laughs> I would probably equally like be as fulfilled as taking a nap with a cheetah as being sponsored by Dunkin'. So. You know, somebody out there who may or may not ever listen to this, you know, put in a good word. So, um, at a like a good local coffee shop, I'd say it'd have to be like a good latte with oat milk. I'm very obsessed with Mm. oat milk. I'm a big fan of oat milk. Yes, Mm -hmm. love it. So good. So maybe vanilla, maybe some other flavor. There's some coffee shops that have some unique latte flavors so yeah yeah here for it. i think i had a lavender latte not too long ago and that was pretty interesting it's pretty those good that's a good yeah uh derek what was uh first celebrity crush Ooh, first celebrity crush i i think it was britney spears Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. I think it was Britney Spears. Um, at least that's the one that pops in my brain for whatever reason. But I remember as a kid being like, damn, Britney Spears, like <laughs> sexual awakening. <laughs> and you're showing your 30s now, dude. <laughs> hey. Um, my current celebrity crush, though, not mm-hmm. that this was your question, is Dua Lipa. I'm I'm very, Ooh. very much uh Yes. Dua Lipa. Oh. Dua Lipa, if you're listening to this, which you are not. Please listen, Dua Lipa. Hello. <laughs> Shout out. Oh, for sure. Oh, oh, speaking of, so an, an addendum onto that question then, what do you think about the uh, the, the Dua Lipa is 
Esther from Veggie Tales take what? I've not heard this. Look, look at Esther from Veggie Tales, and she 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 and Dua Lipa are like written in the same font. Okay, <laughs> wait a minute. You gotta look up the the Veggie Tales Esther. Yeah, it's like okay. I'm gonna do that on my own time because I she, need some. I... <laughs> she's the vegetable this... version of Dua Lipa. That that wow that that is that that might have just changed my life. Yeah, you'll have to see what you think. I don't know. Um, let's see. What did you want to be when you grew up? When you were little, I wanted to be a professional baseball player. So I grew up mm. loving baseball. Still love baseball. I'm a big Dodgers fan, hence my uh, my Twitter banner. Um, and I redshirted in, uh, the junior college I was at, um, and then the, when I was going to actually play the following year, the Lord called me to ministry. So I hung it up. Um, but yeah, I, I'm actually wanting to join an adult baseball league. So that's something that I'm, um, possibly going to be doing i met a new friend at the park when my kids my kids were playing on the playground and i noticed somebody who had a shirt on that said like adult baseball league and i was like it's a sign Mm. and i was so happy so anyway that's uh a very weird long-winded answer um shout out to my hd for hijacking my brain um (laughs) to what i wanted to be when i grew up so there you go. It was yeah, a good response awesome. to get one new Twitter follower. Really? Yeah, me. I just followed you on Twitter. <laughs> I'm honored. Was it because you love baseball too? No, I don't like baseball. <laughs> well, okay, wow. okay. The Louisville Bats are the worst baseball team in the nation. Pretty bad. <laughs> They're so bad. Yeah. I've never seen the Bats win a game. <laughs> and I've been to like a dozen games. Are they what? Like... They're, they're, the, they're the feeder for the Cincinnati Reds. Minor league. Ooh, yeah, that's an interesting feeder. Yeah. I mean, see, the things the thing about the Reds is that they have so many, like, they'll have a lot of young players that are good, and then they'll just, like, get rid of them. It's like the Reds, the Pirates, and the Orioles. However, the Pirates and Orioles seem to be, at least right now, holding on to their young players. And now you've got me talking about baseball and people are like, <laughs> I'm not listening to this podcast anymore. <laughs> so I'll shut Good. my mouth. Um, okay. What is the most purity culture thing that you've ever done? Do you write this one? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Am I going to, I, I, how, how deep do I want to answer this? <laughs> um, so, so just to like set the tone, Collier and I used to call each other after dates with our significant others. Oh yeah. To like confess, like if we did anything with them to hold each other. Like right after the dates, we would yeah. call each other. Yeah. <laughs> Until our girlfriends so, were like, hey, I don't want you talking about our, our dates with, with your friend. You don't have to <laughs> brag that you made out, okay? Like, <laughs> and that's not even the worst of it. Like, that's just one example. Yeah. So, 
Um, okay. Uh, I apologize in advance if this is not something Rachel wanted me to share, but I don't think she cares. She'd probably lie about it. Um, <laughs> she won't listen to this anyway. So yeah, she won't. Um, uh, I, we were engaged, I think at this point, um, and we were getting hot and heavy in, in like my car outside of the place I was living at, uh, while interning at a church and fun fact, this house that I lived at, we called that we dubbed the intern house, the intern house, uh, was on Charles Manson's old property. So it was wow. very interesting. There were lots of people who would wander <laughs> on the property <laughs> oh, at various no. points. Yes. So anyway, okay. um, uh, so yeah, we were, we were getting hot and heavy in my car and I was like, I really want to be handsy if you catch my drift. And she was like, I'm just going to trust you to like follow the the spirit or something. <laughs> I don't know. It was like super. And she may have not even vocalized this to me after, until after, like <laughs> I um, did the good evangelical thing and I did not get handsy in that moment. <laughs> mm. um, follow the spirit. Anyway. I was, yeah, it was very purity culture moment of like, yeah, we can like suck each other's faces off as we make out, but nope, no touching each other's bodies. No, no. Yeah, the, the second it goes below the clothes, no. Mm-mm. Did you did you no. pray afterwards too? Just just to make sure. Damn it! See, I, that wasn't good enough. <laughs> this guy prayed on his wedding night oh yeah i was <laughs> and walked his <laughs> wife down uh, passage oh my god yeah that was probably <laughs> the most purity culture thing i did which uh we she appreciated at the time but, but uh yeah i like i i read uh proverbs 31 and like like walked her down that and applied each verse to her about like how she like exemplified the perfect wife before like our honeymoon night so yeah i thought you were like you like you were blessing <laughs> this like i'm gonna just bless this sex right now in the name of i Jesus. didn't go that far luckily but no i mean it was yeah it was i mean like a 30 minute conversation though on the the balcony of our resort before so yeah so she's like shut up just stick no, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of sex sloppy wet or unforeseen sloppy wet mm. amen my boy all day let's see uh would you rather know when you are going to die or how you are going to die oh fuck um how yeah 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 See, I have OCD and a lot of my anxiety is around like, like something terrible is going to happen to my, like to me, like around, like, I'm going to get this terminal illness and I'm going to die. Like, and I'm not going to live a life that, you know, and so this question often plays me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I only got a couple more. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, um. Have you seen like the Christians who curse sometime, like awkward sermon clips you can't unhear? Yes. Okay. Like, what is your 
personal awkward sermon, awkward church experience you can't unhear? Have you had like something really funny or embarrassing that happened in church? Oh man. I feel like these are repressed. Um, <laughs> then we can, then I'll just ask you what your favorite flavor is. My, my, my favorite flavor. I'm going to try to think of something though. I well, feel like there had to questions. have been, mm-hmm. I feel like there had to have been like an embarrassing moment leading worship either where I want to say like either I forgot a line or I came in at the wrong part and it just was like a disaster. Um, it was probably something like that. And I blocked it out of my memory, <laughs> but, um, oh man. Yeah. Nothing's jumping out at me in particular, but I want to say that I had one of those moments while leading worship that was like, dear God, I just want to like disappear. <laughs> <laughs> I had a woman breastfeed in the front row right in front of me in a, at a church of 15 people. And I'm not, I'm just like, here's my thing is I was just like 16 and I was like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> oh man. I've got to, yeah. I've got to lead worship by, by not making eye contact <laughs> or looking toward her breast. Like I've got to, <laughs> It was at Mercy Hill. Oh, I know. Oh, was it? Remember, <laughs> yeah. uh, what's her name? Lindsay, the the girl, the mm. lady with like seven kids. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, I I had multiple embarrassing memories of that church too. I broke a string on a guitar. It was yeah. Lots Shared of stuff. trauma, oh, those are, buddy. Yeah, those are rough moments when you yeah. break a string. Yeah. Well, Not like you said, uh, um. One of our questions that we always ask that one of our guests asked us is, uh, what is your favorite flavor? Hmm. It's a very broad question and I'm here for it. My favorite flavor. God. I don't know if I've ever been asked that like on an open-ended way. Like it's been like, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream or what's your favorite flavor of. So if it's sweet, I would say it's like something cookie related. I I would say something like a chocolate chip and maybe like a, like a peanut butter and chocolate mix, kind of like a Reese's cup or something. But um my, I would say my overall favorite flavor, I'm obsessed with this one food. And like, if I could eat this for every meal for the rest of my life, I don't think I'd ever tire of it. And it's pizza. Pizza is like my thing. <laughs> and like, so pizza is probably my favorite flavor. Okay. Even like the pizza flavor, potato chips and the goldfish crackers. I, listen, I, I would probably like have anything pizza flavor. Yeah. Pizza flavor combos. Those pizza are really flavor combos. I don't even like discriminate against shit pizza like i mean mm, yes. i won't yeah. really love it but like i'll be like oh this is still pizza like do you oh, guys yeah. have like casey's down there i don't even know what that is it's a gas no. station no it's like have, a midwest like gas station okay okay QT. but like quick trip oh, yeah, pizza yeah. i would yeah i would eat it oh yeah 100 yeah yeah uh, god now i want pizza <laughs> <laughs> this is like every day of my life I'm tapped out on questions, Corey. All right. Okay. Uh, 
Let's see. I'll end with the one I always end on then. So, Derek, how would others describe you in a few words? Pulchritudinous and perspicacious. <laughs> okay. Okay. Dude, you made those up. No. No, you did. That was a good word. So, so other people would describe you that way. Yes. No, no, I don't know. <laughs> um, it's really, I mean, those are real words. I mean, those are good vocabulary what do words. What mean? I have to look them up. Yes. I'm from Kentucky. I'm from Kentucky. <laughs> um, so pulchritudinous is a, a fancy way of saying like handsome or like good looking, I think. And then perspicacious is like mentally sharp or something like that. So um, both of which most people are not describing me. All right. But uh, wait, maybe, I don't know. Anyway, this is. When we put the episode title, that. we'll just, the, the episode title will be Pulse. Pulse. I, I and and <laughs> That's our title for the episode. Yes. <laughs> Prophesying that now. Now. Um, God, what? I mean, I. Th- I would hope that most people describe me as like sincere and loving. Like, I think that those are two qualities that I try to embody um, being like genuine and loving. Um, you don't think that a lot of people would describe you as a, a heretic? <sighs> oh, that's where you were leading with that question. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> yes, many would. And perhaps I may be on their list of favorites. Mm-hmm. Hopefully. Yeah. I mean, you never know. There I'm are a lot of heritage. I, I would hope uh, to be voted people's favorite heretic, but, you know, I guess yeah. that's. Yeah. You definitely are favorite heretic. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Yes. So uh, slowly transition out of that because. The puns were a plentiful. Um, I joined your page back like right when I like started my process of leaving evangelicalism. And one thing that kind of off put me at first about like your favorite heretics is like how broad the spectrum is of the type of people that end up in that like group. Because you've got all the way from like, I would say like staunch atheists to like just evangelicals even. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, there, there's witches, pagans, evangelicals, atheists, people that are questioning, people that are like barely left the church. It's a very <clears throat> wide yeah. spectrum. And I was like, this is weird. I want something that takes a little bit of a harder stance. But I think that I slowly started to see like the beauty of that page specifically. So um, a lot of people probably know you from that. So like, how did something like that come about? What do you want to share? Yeah. I, and, and, and I'm, it's interesting that you experienced that too. Um, that was something that Rachel and I really worked hard, uh, to create. Um, I think she and I both represent different places along the spectrum. Um, and intentionally so because we want to be fostering a space because deconstruction is so broad. Um, and so personal and can look very different, you know, and, and each scenario, we wanted it to be a place where everyone felt like they could relate, that they could belong. And it wasn't going to be off-putting. 
Now, granted, there will still be exceptions to where, of course, people wouldn't really jive or vibe with it. But as a general rule, our, our desire wasn't to be dogmatic or um, exclusive of anybody, no matter where they're at. We wanted people to be respectful, respectful of each other's views and ultimately in a position of where they remain open um, and yeah, just wanting to have a space where they could relate to other people going through a similar process, whether or not it was leading them to the same place that they would, um, or the same direction, I should say that they are going. Um, because as we know, it's not like we've quote unquote deconstructed and we finished, like it's, it's very much a, an ongoing evolution and an ongoing process of becoming, um, that, that we're really all on. And I think I was even thinking about it today in the shower where all good thoughts happen, right? That, you know, so much of my life, even before I had language for deconstruction was really that it was challenging one thought or another and leaving behind something that was too rigid or something that wasn't ultimately benefiting my growth. And even if I was still within evangelicalism, like I still think that I was deconstructing to an extent. And, you know, I think that there's a, there's a time where obviously you kick it into high gear and, you know, full, full speed ahead. However, I think, um, you know, you don't go from A to Z overnight or, you know, A to L overnight, right? Like it's, it's a, it's a matter of a a gradual progression toward um, new ideas, new thoughts, new experiences, new ways of seeing the world and ourselves and the divine and, or lack thereof. Um, And I think that Rachel and I have always wanted to make it a safe space for people who are healing from religious trauma because I think that's a common thread that whether or not we are venturing back into progressive spaces, whether or not we feel at home in atheism, whether or not we want to be part of pagan and and witchcraft practices, whether we want to be part of new age or other forms of spirituality and other worldviews and faiths, um, or a combination of a lot of stuff where I feel myself very much to be spiritually fluid. The whole idea is that the space that we would be able to foster would be inviting and relatable to people wherever they may be in their process. Um, They might be able to glean something from it and be able to share a laugh, share some similar empathy in in, in their pain and their struggle and be able to, um, you know, find themselves in the stories of others. So. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I mean, I think that's really similar to, kind of where where we are and like our journeys as well and like we've said multiple times too about how the the tools that our church gave us to examine our faith are the same tools that we used to deconstruct if you will and to uh you know we just kind of continue the process maybe a little bit beyond what they would have wanted uh, but it was the same tools it was the same process that they taught us to look at our faith critically and to and to figure things out it, you know <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there there are certain questions that used to be off limits and then they they weren't off limits. Um yeah. Um yeah, I want to get a little bit more into like your current spirituality and stuff like that, but um I did you mentioned uh being comfortable in in different 
areas. Like, I just wanted to ask a little bit about how you how you are comfortable in those areas, like how you can feel at home in atheism, paganism, like uh, fully Christian in the church and all that. Yeah. Um, I think when we can let go of needing to have certainty about the answers to our questions and more of just being intrigued and curious about how other people see the world and how other people experience the divine or, you know, love or, you know, uh, their press process of, of getting to know themselves even more, um, being, becoming a, a more loving and an integrated human. I mean, all these things that are enriching to our experiences as, as people and, and wanting to continue this process of, of growth. Uh, like, I think being able to, to have a posture of inviting other voices into our lives is what ultimately helps us to um, let go of the need to be right. Uh, let go of the need to defend ourselves. Like we were taught, like as far as apologetics and, and defending the faith and, and being like evangelists um, and really having the mentality that um, at least from my perspective uh, may, may vary for, for whoever's listening, but um, there is a, a facet and an, and a, an aspect uh, a reflection of the divine in each and every person's story in each and every person's perspective and each and every person's experience. And uh, I was talking to a friend, Kaylee, uh, not too long ago, and she had mentioned something uh, that I found was brilliant. I'd never thought about it th that way, but she's like, you know, there's about 8 billion people on this planet and there's probably about 8 billion views of, of the divine. And I was like, that is so true. Like, I, I don't care if you're, you belong to the same denomination. I don't care if you belong to the same faith practice or non-faith practice. Like there's, there's still intricacies and complexities because we are uniquely different. And that to me is what invites us into being relational creatures and um, hopefully being able to, to stay curious, just have that posture of openness of wanting to understand each other better and wanting to um, not only share from, from where we've come and where we're, where we're headed, but, but, but stay um, in a position of, of wanting to understand people better. Um, and I think that because fear was so prevalent within evangelical spaces, it taught us to be scared of ideas that contradicted our own. Um, we felt like we owned the truth and anything that opposed it was to be, you know, opposed and shot down um, and seen as demonic or evil. And I think when we can see the goodness in, in all people's um, ideas granted to the part, to the extent that they're helpful and not harmful <laughs> in practice. Um, I, I think that we can become more inclusive humans. And I think that, uh, that I, inclusivity is an expression of love. And I think love, at least for me is like my highest ethic that drives me. And I think the more that I experience love in other people and other cultures, other worldviews, other philosophies, um, the more I experience the divine. And, uh, I think that that fits in even somewhat with what we were taught with God is love. And, you know, whoever lives in love lives in God. Like, how cool is that? Whoever, however we experience love is however we experience the divine. And I think that's so personal and different. Um, 
you know, there's several love languages. We don't all experience love in the same way. I mean, why would we all experience the divine in the same way? It's, it's uh, to me, it's, it's so personal and so different. And maybe for some, they, they don't need to have that language for uh, divinity. Like, but I think that, um, and even pr- before talking, uh, Elijah was talking about, um, you know, it's not so much about what you believe it's so much like about what you do, right. It's what really matters, what happens and how we treat other people and the action behind, you know, um, and, and the way that we carry ourselves, I'm probably doing a poor job paraphrasing what you said, Elijah, but, um, I, I really resonated with that because I think that growing up evangelical, it was easy to hide behind our beliefs. It was easy to, to say that, you know, um, I believe all these things and therefore I'm going to heaven and I don't, it doesn't matter how fucked up my life looks like I'm saved quote unquote. And so, you know, even if I live like shit, I'll just repent and, and, you know, whatever. And I think that's where a lot of harm comes in because, you know, so many people in power, um, you know, uh, are above being able to be held accountable or so many people within church spaces are, are feeling like they're, I don't know, needing to reinforce cognitive dissonance in order to feel like they're, you know, accepted, they're good enough. Um, but in reality, like what matters isn't so much of what we mentally assent to and, and what we say we believe it's, it's so much more of like what's causing us to grow and to heal and to transform and to become you know, more loving and, and whole and more, more like of a full expression of ourselves, I think. Um, so, and I think that looks different, um, year to year, moment by moment, person to person. And I think that that's why so much of life is dynamic and fluid. Um, and I think that's why also I've been really finding, um, I guess a home in spiritual fluidity, because I feel like I'm always intrigued by other ideas. I don't want to feel stuck and labeled or boxed into one particular um, expression. Um, So, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Being the staunch ex-evangelical, now kind of apathetic person that I am, um, one of my biggest hangups has always been like absolute truth, blah, 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 blah. You know, where's my assurance that there is no afterlife? Where's my assurance that there is or is not a God? And I still experience that now, even though I've left evangelicalism in, you know, I need assurance. It's just way easier for me to just assume that all spirituality is bullshit. How have you been able to stave off um, like the the mindset of absolutes because I can imagine you know just me looking in and I think for our, you know we have some evangelical listeners we've got some atheistic listeners some very binary um, listeners uh, how are you able to keep that sort of mindset away because that gives me anxiety not having the absolute truth I'm trying to live in the gray but how are you able to do that so well I think it's an ongoing process, uh, for sure. I think that we all desire certainty. We all want to know. Um, I think that's part of why there's such existential anxiety through deconstruction is because we leave a world where we're told 
you know, the Bible says it, we believe it and that settles it. You know, it's the inerrant word of God and you just got to believe it no matter what. And when shit hits the fan, that's not how life always works. Um, and the reality is, is that, you know, I think that there is this sense of within us that, that feels anxious about not knowing. Um, but I think the weird paradox is when we accept that we don't know, when we accept that it's okay to be potentially wrong, um, that that's where a lot of peace and freedom comes from. Um, it's like embracing the uncertainty, um, remaining curious and open, I think is, is, is part of the healing process. And so the whole absolute truth, I guess I'm just like not intrigued by that anymore. I think because a lot of absolutism is rooted in supremacy. I think absolutism is from a colonizer and colonialist mentality that looks to convert other people to think like you. And when you take that, (laughs) well, I mean, you know, when you think about even just the inception of um, the church, when it was taken over, um, um, when it got in bed with empire in Rome, um, that's kind of along the time time when when heresy became a thing um when specific beliefs were were held uh higher than others and you know um church councils began to be more prominent what was determined to be allowed in the canon was ultimately settled for the most part depending on tradition and the reality is that over time it became the powerful deciding what was absolutely true. And when you look at it, honestly, if there's absolute truth, we can't be absolutely certain that we have ownership over that absolute truth. I think that, especially within fundamentalism and evangelicalism today, there's a lot of arrogance around this idea that you know, the Bible is absolute truth. And I don't think that that is a historically accurate understanding of scripture, nor should it be. I don't think it's helpful to loving neighbor. I don't think it's helpful to understanding other people who think differently than you, uh, nor practically do I think it, it plays out in a way that is positive um, from a from just like a practical perspective for people to embrace that. Um, But again, I think that when you have that absolutism as the, I guess, anchor for how you understand, you know, your, the scriptures or how you understand your worldview, what ends up happening is, you know, everybody's automatically wrong by default and you need to Mm -hmm. tell them that they're wrong and they need to believe like you or they're in threat or they're in jeopardy of hellfire, right? Like that's like the narrative that we were handed. But I think that when you can accept the fact that absolutism is not only an unhelpful categorization, but a, a largely, I would say modern categorization as well. Um, I don't know it like it ceases to be an important marker of truth and to me truth is not so much of like 
objectively holding it as this like ethereal, like this is, this is right. And you need to just believe it, but it's like, how is this affecting life? Like, how is this making me a better human? Right? Like truth is fucking bullshit. If it doesn't make me a better human. Right? Like, and I think that's why we see so much hypocrisy in the church. And I think that's why we see so much fundamentally fucked up shit, especially from like those who are in power, these pastors who are preaching these messages week in and week out. Meanwhile, they're living double lives and abusing people and swindling money, being dishonest, you know, being these political pawns, you know, craving power and influence and this like celebrity, you know, sort of um, like platform. I think the reality is that if truth is just an idea to believe and not something that has a positive effect on the way that I live my life, that I'm not interested in it. And I think that's why you can hide behind absolutes as a way of just living a shitty life. Um, I think subjectively speaking, like if my experience is enhanced by a particular truth claim, I'm intrigued by it. And I want to, I want to try it on. I want to take it where it may, where it may take me. Right. Like, I think I'm, you know, a truth claim, I guess you can say that I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by lately is like this, this idea of, um, I guess like panentheism or pantheism, or even like panpsychism, like that, like everything's living, everything's alive, everything's connected. Everything's part of the divine. We're part of the divine. Everything is of divine substance. And I don't know that to be objectively true or absolutely true, but I find that very fascinating and enriching and it brings me a lot of, um, brings a lot of zest and zeal to my life. I feel like it, it, it lights some sort of fire underneath me to stay, um, curious about the world, um, yeah. about existence. So that's so fun. Yeah, I, I love that too. Like, I, I feel like the the kind of evangelical world that we all came from would want you to believe in order to explore those paths, like you were saying, for the pantheism, panpsychism, and all that. Of like, I feel like the the evangelical world that we came from would say that you have to believe something is true in order to follow those. Almost, it's like if I started talking about that, people would be like, "Oh, so you believe in that?" And I'm like, "Not really. I mean, I I don't know." but it's just fascinating. It's exciting. It's exciting to chase this. It's exciting to see what different avenues of spirituality there are. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and that brings us a lot into like the curiosity. I know you've talked about curiosity recently. Um, how does that like practically play out then in your life? Yeah, I, I think um, I'm still figuring that out in a lot of ways, but I owe a lot of credit, I think, to Ted Lasso. Um, I love that show. It's become my favorite show, but you know, that, that iconic scene, not to spoil it for anybody, but you know, he's playing darts in the pub and he's talking about his upbringing and some of his experience with his own father playing darts growing up. And, you know, I think he misattributes a quote to Walt Whitman, which I guess has anyway, whatever. And he, he says, you know, uh, my father always told me to like, uh, that it was important to be curious, not judgmental. And, um, 
I think that idea of curiosity, the more I keep revisiting it in different ways and, and trying that on as like a lens to look through, the more I'm finding that to be a fascinating way of just seeing existence. Because I think when we stay curious about life and about other people and about uh, forms of spirituality, you know, like I was terrified of tarot cards years and years ago, but now I'm like super fascinated by it. I think it's really cool. Um, and mm-hmm. not that I think it, it necessarily tells the future or anything or whatever. I, I don't, I, I just think that it's a, a cool and intriguing tool to use yeah, as a form yeah, of spiritual yeah. practice. Um, I am intrigued by psychedelics. I think that there's a lot of studies around the, the positive, um, benefits to the brain and healing of trauma. Um, I watched a documentary recently, um, on Netflix, highly recommended. It's called how to change your mind. It's based off a book written by Michael Pollan, who is a, or Pollan or Pollock or something like that. Um, and it was, it was written about his exploration of the um, various psychedelics and how modern psychology has been studying it and its effects on healing the brain and changing the mind, whether it's, you know, healing from PTSD or um, healing of OCD and anxiety, depression, addiction. I mean, all these things are being empirically studied uh, and tested. And I just, there are just things about our reality and our world that when you stay curious about it, I think it leads you to, um, you know, doors that open you up into like these expansive experiences that really make us evolve and become, um, I guess like more of ourselves, like in a way that, and and it's like exploring and adventuring into seeing new sides of who will become, I, uh, like on the other side of, of saying yes to an experience or saying yes to an idea or saying yes to studying, you know, new thoughts. And, um, my, my good friend, uh, Cameron Bishop, who, those of you who don't know who he is, um, he's, he's fairly active on Twitter. Um, but he's exploring his doctorate, um, at the moment. And he's, he leads an organization all around human transformation, um, all around amazing human. But one of the the things he says in like the driving questions behind a lot of his work is, you know, who will I become on the other side of this experience? And am I curious enough? Am I interested enough to see who I'll become on the other side of this? And that's like the key to human transformation is if, you know, we think that it's a worthwhile decision to see who will become on the other side of this, then it's probably a positively transformative decision yeah. that we should make. And I don't know, it, 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 it seems probably quite simple, but I don't know. I think sometimes the simple parts of life can often be the most profound. So yeah, I, I honestly, 
curiosity, I think is just a, a way of moving through the world that instead of being defensive and um, holding this posture of self-preservation, we're open and inviting and welcoming to other thoughts and ideas. And, and with, with an idea of like, I can benefit from, from how other people see the world. So. Yeah, that's great. That's really good. Yeah. It, it reminds me a little bit of, um, uh, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. I guess when you're saying that it, it's in terms of, uh, evangelicalism and kind of the worldview that we were taught, one of the biggest problems I have with that is the focus and the absolute certain uh, passion and focus on um, eschatology, you know, and what's going to happen after death. And like they can use that. We've talked a lot about on this podcast about how you can use the threat of death, the threat of hell and salvation to excuse a lot of harms. Um, and I feel like that also, though, goes into curiosity, because if you you don't really focus on that like whatever you believe about death aside if you if you recognize the importance and the the finite time that we have here like that's just a fundamental part of being human is curiosity and that's such a integral part of being human i feel like is is exploring what there is you know what there is to offer whether it's through psychedelics whether it's through just hearing people's perspectives and listening to everyone's story no matter what it is um yeah, did, did that? I don't know. Did, did that affect you at all? You think like uh, your a shift from the focus on eschatology to um, humanity? Did that did that affect your curiosity as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's largely what started my deconstruction. Um, what or I guess my more formal or explicit deconstruction was uh, when I became a dad. I remember. I was sitting in the living room of our like 850 square foot house <laughs> that we were in oh, at the time. Um, just looking at my son as he was playing on the carpet and having this love swell up within me as a new dad and thinking to myself, there's no way that anything that he could ever do would make me want to cause him harm or harm for an infinite amount of time. So either I am more loving than the God that I was told about and introduced to and supposedly have experienced, or I have God completely wrong. And so that sent me on a process of really unpacking, like, like, is like, what is hell? Like, where did we get all of these ideas? Um, you know, I was exposed to people like uh, Peter Hyatt and Brad Jersak, and um, you know, eventually some other folks like David Bentley Hart, and um, you know, a lot of great thinkers who um really dug into uh the original languages of the scriptures that were really poorly translated just as hell and um i think as i began to get a good grip on 
kind of the liter literary and historical context behind a lot of that. I had a lot of confidence and, and freedom from, from feeling like this God who is love that I believe to have known in my experience um, yet had this weird paradox of reading scriptures and not knowing what to do with it. Um, I think functionally, like I didn't believe it, but like also at the same time, like I wanted to have like some form of ground to stand on to push against just this vague, like, I don't really believe this in actuality, but I do believe it because I'm supposed to believe what the Bible says kind of deal. So once I unpacked all that, it like took away the fear of a lot of what I was told about what these things mean, um, you know, around eternal torment and why that's just a horrible mistranslation and, you know, how largely is referenced to like a valley outside of Jerusalem that was used for burning trash and sacrificing to other deities and as a picture of judgment. And so much of what we have overly literalized in the Bible was, you know, very intentional, allegorical, and, um, you know, language that would point back as a sign to other portions of the biblical text. Um, but again, we, we see something in, in the Bible and it clearly says it. So that means it's true kind of deal. So anyway, that, that really sent me on a process of feeling more at peace behind the fact that like, like, no, th this isn't something I have to be afraid of. Like, this isn't something that needs to hang over my head anymore, you know? It's especially more important, especially if scripture is completely inerrant and completely true, to know that the words written in there were written 2,000 years ago to a particular people group at a particular time who understand culture so, so different. Like, they're openly sexist and racist, and Jesus is just trying to barely get them to understand that women are people too. <laughs> no i mean like when you start reading the bible through like those types of lens like let's do the bare fucking minimum here let's try to get them to take a mind like a, a a mind shift like it takes a whole different context it's true yeah it's i mean it's interesting too because it's like we expect the same cultural context and you know, surrounding beliefs and sets of biases and um, interpretations to be at play within this ancient Near Eastern culture that we have today in, you know, postmodern American, like Christianity. And it's like, no, guys, no, that's just, it's so night and day. It's so night and day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it really is. It really is. Even um, just the advent of inerrancy too, you know, like, I mean, that was recent. Like that was like, what, like 150 years ago or something, right? Like mm -hmm. 1900s or 1800s, late 1800s, maybe. Yeah. Late 1800s. I think it was, it was in response. So like, to my knowledge, it was like, there was a time where, you know, as, as scientism and, and a lot of this thought around, you know, the rise of science became kind of a, 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 Oh, an influence on culture, the church mm -hmm. doubled down in two ways, you know, the, 
the Catholic Church really pushed hard on the infallibility of the Pope, whereas like the Protestant Church really pushed down on the inerrancy of Scripture. <laughs> so it was like, how do we combat, you know, culture from pushing against, you know, the church staying relevant and, and all things truth? Because we have all these scientific claims that are starting to cut against what we understood of the world. And um, yeah, I think that that obviously led to a lot of damage and abuse. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, we got to be wrapping up here pretty soon. But uh, Derek, also, what's what's something that's been sparking your curiosity recently? What, what, are, what are some of the different fluid spiritual paths you've been going down? Yeah, um, I guess I'm just really intrigued by, um, so like Alan Watts, if y'all are familiar with him, I I've been listening to him here and there. I'm really interested behind a lot of what psychology is discovering around psychedelics. Like those two things really have been what has fueled a lot of my curiosity lately. And I think yeah. that's just been enriching, enriching me spiritually because like, I understand it from this, like, so like if, if, if psychedelics, for example, are components and elements of the earth. Right. And if we believe like that, from my perspective, like everything's connected, everything's living, mm -hmm. we're all like, God breathed. <laughs> Amen. Um, you know, everything that is, is, is divinely soaked, right? Like, so there's nothing that could not enhance our spiritual experience, to, you know, like in a sense of like showing us some aspect of the divine. And for me, like, and, and look, this, this may not apply to everybody, but <clears throat> I just find it fascinating that somebody could let's say under a guided experience, you know, go through a process of like a, you know, like taking LSD under, under a clinical, you know, process and being guided through that and like heal from trauma, like, or have these crazy memories of things that they, they could have, they've never even thought about, or they haven't put together. And it's like, it's untangling the brain and allowing for things to you know, uh, these neural pathways to reconnect. And I mean, just, just fascinating things like, you know, like how can a, a fungus that like that? So like mushrooms from what I understand and fungi are like the digestive system of the earth, right? It like absorbs mm -hmm. things. It, it breaks it down and allows for things to renourish and allows for life to continue. So like we have this like particular branch of fungus, which is, you know, psilocybin that happens to induce this psychoactive experience that ends up causing people to have, you know, one of the most profound spiritual experiences that they have that is shown under different brain scans to actually be healing for, you know, people of CPTSD or PTSD and other forms of like, you know, uh, mental health issues. And it's like, these are, these are things that are just, on our earth that are causing us to have these fascinating experiences that people are even calling spiritual experiences. And 
and we have empirical data that's showing that they're healing as well. Like, I don't know. I, I just, I, I find it so fascinating that something as simple as a fungus <laughs> could, could have such an impact. And I just think that like, there's so much, even just on the earth to explore, like, you know, and, and how we can look at a sunset or how we can have a, a serendipitous conversation with somebody on a podcast <laughs> and have yeah. us walk away becoming uh, more enriched as a result of being in relationship with other people that we had never known. Right. And so for me, like there's so much to behold, so much beauty to, um, to take in. I think that, you know, how could we not be curious and to borrow Jesus's words, childlike about our way of seeing the world, our faith. Mm -hmm. And it's not to be ignorant or it's not to be, you know, um, uncritical or whatever, but it's more of just like, I want to have this adventurous spirit about me that like is open-minded to everything that could be positively beneficial. Yeah, I know. That's incredible. And I mean, what you were saying about, about us psychedelics too, I feel like a lot of, um, a lot of ancient cultures use a lot of psychedelics and people have for a long time and the Western, like a lot of the USA is really, really puritanized because of who originally settled it in the, well, the Puritans. <laughs> so uh, we kind of don't have a lot of that rich history of psychedelics, but a lot of the native um, people of this country that we are currently living on use ayahuasca and still do to this day and have to have to have had guided spiritual experiences. And yeah, I love what you're saying about just the fungi too being living. And it's like, I, I feel like just life in general is something that connects us all. Like mm -hmm. we tend to think about life in, Maybe, I mean, some people from a basic, like, just human standpoint of, like, only other humans are truly living. But then some people extend that to animals or to mammals, then to other animals. But also something as basic as bacteria, you know, is living and alive, and we can learn from it. There's something there. And, yeah, that's so exciting. There's so much to adventure that I truly don't think one human could do in a lifetime. Yeah. But might as well try to do it all that you can while, we, while we're still alive. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I think it's like, you know, we have the new telescopes that, you know, recently captured, like, I think like what the furthest out that we've ever mm, yeah. captured, um, or I'm probably doing a per terrible job at, at, uh, recalling the, the recent significant, um, uh, telescope that, that, that published that image. But, um, my point is, is like, we can look far out into the universe or we can look down into a, a molecular level. And it's so interesting that like, whether we go super broad or super like small, like there's so much detail and so much beauty and so much uh, that invites us and should intrigue us, should, should pique our, our curiosity. Um, and yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think that what deconstruction should do um, to kind of go back and bring things sort of full circle is reignite 
this this like really like set free our our desire to to live like and and not in a way that looks a particular way not in a way that we're mandated to be in a very rigid um you know um overly moralistic like stale and black and white sort of way but like having this this new lease on life that that helps us to to embrace life more from a, a perspective of not not something to fear or not something to avoid or look at as evil or sinful or bad but like look at life as good and worth living and i think that at least for me like whether it was purity culture or whether it was you know um not being able to say fuck or you know having to <laughs> see fuck. the fuck um you know whatever it may be like there's so much of life that we were restricted from that we were held off to not because you know like it was going to send us on this downward spiral into like you know utter just like destruction but like because they were taught that that was bad and that, you know, you had to avoid it. And, you know, the whole point is what I'm trying to get at is as deconstruction is meant to really empower our freedom in a way to live completely and totally, um, I guess, in, in a place of loving our experience and loving existence and life is hard. It's fucking difficult, but, you know, I think my hope is that for all of us that we get to continue to heal from our trauma and, and find ourselves through it being like, God, this is the best that, that life has ever been kind of deal. So. Yeah. I'm not going to do drugs, but if you want to, (laughs) I'm really happy for y'all. I will. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, uh, I love that you can see uh, the beauty in all of life. Uh, it kind of it kind of reminds me a lot of like when I first started listening to like Gunger, <laughs> because you know they tell you not to listen to Gunger. Uh, even some of John Mark McMillan's stuff gets a little vibey out there, but <laughs> some of his you know panentheism, pantheism ideas, you know line up almost exactly with what you're talking about here, you know, just seeing the beauty in all things. And, you know, maybe God is not so much like a, a wrathful being in heaven, but so much in the little things. And I love that. Yeah. Um, so we always like to close out our episodes of media recommendations mm-hmm. and those can take kind of any form that you want traditionally it's been like an underground artist who you know we want to talk about or whatever but it's gone so far from that at this point yeah you can do tv show books whatever you want you already shouted out a netflix thing uh we'll share what we've got and then we'll give you just a second to think about it and then uh we're gonna wrap up if that's cool with you absolutely Cool. I saw Collier searching over here something on Spotify. Yeah, dude was ready. <laughs> well, no, no, I did. I wasn't ready, so that's why I was searching on Spotify. Um, 
I so this isn't like new for me, but I really love the song uh, "Maple Syrup" by the Backseat Lovers. Uh, really good. They're a really cool band. Really vibey. It's got like they're. It's just one of those bands that like every instrument is like really really good. You know, like the guitars are really good, the bass is really good, the drums are really good. It's just it's really cool. And that song kind of exemplifies a lot of that music. So I just have a good time listening to it. So that's my media recommendation. Um, dear listeners. If you've known me over my hyperfixation of the last few months, you know that I've become a professional Dungeons and Dragons dungeon master. <laughs> so I've been uh looking for something to listen to uh while I study for my masters that I'm in now. And my favorite uh YouTube uh Dungeon and Dragon shows Critical Role has lo-fi themed mixes for all of their characters from their different shows. <gasps> And wow. it's the perfect study music, and this is, like, super niche. But there's this character who kind of embodies what you were talking about. Like, he's very one with nature. Uh, he serves, like, a nature goddess. And uh, he has some very nice, calm, acoustic music. And, like, I was really vibing with it, man. Like, I was, you know, he, he they sampled some of the clips he said from the show. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know what? I am ready to commune with with everything. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's great. Yeah. Um, my, so I, I uh, recently stumbled across, thanks to Twitter, um, this band that, you know, it's a little outside my comfort zone, but like I, the, what they do with their music is like really fascinating to me. Honestly, We're pulling up Spotify now, buddy. <laughs> so they're called the Callus Dowboys, which is funny because it's like a nice like a play on words, sort of, of mixing Dallas Cowboys, which I'm just now realizing as I'm saying <laughs> that out loud. Um, so the Callus Dowboys and their album Celebrity Therapist that came out um, like on the second, actually. Uh, I didn't realize it came out that recently is very very good and like so it's like uh it's more hardcore um but like musically speaking like they they're they're like the melodies and the tones on the guitar and the way that they um the way that they um what's what i'm looking for the way they, they they put together each song and craft it and words are escaping me because it is getting to that point in the evening where my brain is shutting off. Um, it, it's, it's fascinating to me. Like you'll have a moment where it's like, they're just singing and it's kind of broken down and then they'll just like jump into like screaming and then like, it'll go back to like them singing. Oh. And it's, it's so different than anything I've heard that, it made me curious. <laughs> so <laughs> says they're from Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah, it is true. They're actually playing a show soon, so I should probably we'll go check there. them out. Nice. Let's let's make it happen. Yeah, and then we'll, we'll head to Iceland that. afterward. Hey, let's do it. Let's do it. Show within Iceland. Let's do it. That sounds I'm like so a great time. Yeah. Hey. Uh, where can people find Derek? Oh, was that where you? No, no, I was gonna say the same thing. Oh yes, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. We're 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 vibing we on the. We got it. No, now I want Collier to go. 
Okay, where can, pe- where can people find you? Uh, OnlyFans? No, I'm kidding. Yes. <laughs> Saucy ankle pics. Hey, don't give away my secrets. Um, uh, no, I, I. So on Instagram at your favorite heretics. Uh, Twitter is where I've been probably most active uh, of late, uh, which is Derek the Heretic. Uh, I'm also on TikTok, which I'm trying to pick back up. Uh, same handle, Derek the Heretic. Um, let's see. That's pretty much it right now. Uh, we have a great Facebook group, which both Collier and Elijah have mentioned, um, which is your favorite heretics community discussion group, which is a mouthful, but you'll find it. <laughs> uh, we can maybe put a, a nice tasty link in the show notes. Yes. Um, definitely. and, uh, yeah, I highly recommend being part of it. It's, it's a, a very, very, uh, diverse group as Elijah mentioned, um, but it's a group that I think has done a very good job at making space for people, whether they want to rage, whether they want to, um, you know, mourn over something, whether they want to laugh about something cringy in Christian culture, whatever it may be, um, it's been a very supportive group from from, uh, what I can understand, at least from my vantage point. I'm very thankful that we've been able to foster it definitely it's been amazing yeah as always we're hopefully wondering podcasts on instagram might be the first time i've ever said that instagram handle correctly <laughs> uh that's where we're most active and woefully hondering yeah podcast. <laughs> uh yeah so thank you so much to derek for being on this podcast it's been amazing stay classy stay curious that's how we're going to end it right All there. Right. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs>